And so as we come today back to the book of Acts after several weeks being away, may I just remind you the title of our series is Acts, the Church, 0 to 60. The title of the series is that because the book of Acts, in an inspired fashion, tells the the diary, the history of the church from her birth in Acts chapter 2 for the next 60 years. The book of Acts covers the first 60 years of the church. And so we want to be learning about what the church was in her first 60 years, and we want to be emulating the timeless principles that we find in the book of Acts in that first 60-year chronicling of history. You know, the manifest power of Jesus Christ, if I open this to be a testimony service time, then each of you eventually would probably have something come to your mind or heart, and some of you would stand and say, I saw the manifest power of Jesus Christ when this or that happened. Let me tell you three things that I want to just point out that Beth and I have seen. Beth lost her diamond wedding ring while we were in Houston. Excuse me. Houston is not Nassau. I meant to say Nassau. When we lived here in Nassau, Beth lost her diamond wedding ring. We scoured our cars. We scoured our house. We could not find this ring. Of course, we made it a matter of prayer. What I can tell you, the manifest power of Jesus Christ in answer to prayer was one day after about 10 days of searching everywhere, the diamond ring was in a spot we both had checked repeatedly, a wide open spot. There was the diamond ring. I don't know how it got there, except the manifest power of Jesus Christ in answer to prayer. Or I think about the church in Pennsylvania I came to you from. As they called me to be their pastor, They told me, do you know how many resumes we considered before we called you to be our pastor? I had no idea. I said, no, I have no idea. They said, 582 resumes. The manifest power of Jesus Christ led them to want to call me. And do you know what they said was one of the most telling things that made them want to pick me to be their pastor was that I listed on my resume my weaknesses ahead of my strengths. And they asked me, why did you do that? I said, because Christ shows up best in my weaknesses, not my strengths. Or I think of Frank in the second church I pastored. He was a biker. And not a sort of tame biker that, you know, don't break the law, but he was in a gang of bikers that broke the law before he was a Christian. Rough bunch. And Frank was saved by the manifest power of Jesus Christ when he heard Billy Graham preaching on the television. He put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he was changed radically. And he stopped being in the gang of bikers. He started studying the Bible, started praying. He started witnessing. He died suddenly. He was found dead in his home. He lived alone. He went to glory suddenly, and he was found in his home, and I had his funeral, and some of the bikers came to his funeral, rough guys and and gals, and the funeral home had a weird and not ideal design, but the, the restroom was right adjacent to the chapel where the services were conducted, and here were these bikers at Frank's funeral wearing leathers. They were okay until I got to giving the gospel. And soon as I explained what Frank had believed about Jesus Christ that transformed him and made him fit for heaven, I started the gospel. They stood up and they left. 
But before they left, one of them stepped into the restroom adjacent to the chapel and flushed the toilet. That's the crew that Frank moved in before the manifest power of Jesus Christ changed everything. Oh, yes, the manifest power of Jesus Christ. And it happens to be the topic of the whole fourth chapter of the book of Acts. We're only going to look at the first 14 verses. But the manifest power of Jesus Christ, let me start by saying it either makes you mad or glad. The biker flushed the toilet because the manifest power of God in Jesus Christ that changed Frank ticked him off. He wasn't neutral. He was mad, so he flushed the toilet in disrespect to me, but more importantly, in disrespect to Jesus Christ. Manifest power of Christ either makes you mad or glad. And another way of saying that is that the sermon's first point is that the manifest power of Jesus Christ bothers some Persons. I see that in verses 1 to 7. We're going to work our way through as I read it and pause to make comments as I read. So turn your attention to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, please. Here we go, verses 1 and 2. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You may recall that in Acts chapter 3, the action previous to chapter 4, Peter and John got arrested. And and they had preached in Christ's name a stinging sermon, Peter had, and they had healed a lame man and said the power to heal a lame man from birth was Jesus Christ's manifest power. And the crowd, that the, the group that came to him at the beginning of chapter 4 were mad about that. They were threatened by that. They were not resonating with that in any way, shape, or form. And so the, let me talk about these that came first. Let's talk first about the priests. The priests who came to object to the manifest power of Jesus Christ were the religious go-betweens between the average Jew and God. They positioned themselves, accordance with the Old Testament uh, law, as the go-betweens, but they exploited and they used the go-between position between the Jews and God for their own financial and status advantages. The captain of the temple was the captain of the temple guard. The police of the Jewish temple had a captain, and he was there objecting to Peter and John as well at the front end of chapter 4. He was the chief of police, the police that patrolled the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. The third group that's cited in this little group that first came to object are the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of religious leaders who did not believe in bodily resurrection. There is no account in the New Testament of any Sadducee repenting and trusting Christ and being saved. There is example of Pharisees, but no Sadducees. You see, when you rule out the gospel, you rule out the resurrection, pardon me, you rule out half the gospel, and there's no New Testament record of any Sadducee being converted. This was a hardcore group that denied resurrection. So you can imagine when it says in verse 2, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Soon as they preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the Sadducees' ears went up and their ire went up in anger. And they turned it off. They They were totally 
disbelieving in resurrection because that they never got saved. And so each of these had their own reasons for being bothered as verse 2 recounts, quote, greatly disturbed at the manifest power of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the reasons. The priests, the go-betweens, the God and Jews, they got paid good money for being the go-betweens. The captain of the temple police did not want the embarrassment of any commotion, public disturbance at the temple of all places. It would not reflect well upon his chief of policing. The Sadducees wanted no preaching about bodily resurrection, like I said. So they all had their own reasons to object to Peter's sermon about the manifest power of Christ and about the incident where a lame man they all knew to be lame from birth could walk, stand up and walk, and Peter attributed that to the power of Jesus Christ. And they didn't want to accept that. They were mad about that. They were bothered by that. Verses 3 and 4. And they laid hands on them, that is that group I just described, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. It was illegal in Jewish judiciary system to have a trial after dark. So they threw them in the clinker, they threw them in jail overnight to have a trial for them the next morning. Going on, verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word, this is so beautiful, however, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So here, Peter is preaching the truth about the resurrection manifest power of Jesus Christ. The religious leaders and the police leader is so angry about it, throws the apostles in jail, but God's word was not fettered or chained or bound in any way. 5,000 men, plus women and children, trusted Jesus to be Lord and Savior as that message went out. Praise God. And so the priests and the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees were bucking against the manifest power of Jesus, but Christ was building his church as they did so. Not everybody in Nassau is thrilled that the message of Jesus Christ and the manifest power of Jesus Christ is being talked about and preached and shared interpersonally in our city this morning. I'll tell you about it next week, but a funeral director asked me to do a funeral for someone I've never met that forbid me from mentioning Jesus Christ in the service, so I declined the service. That's our city. Some in our city are like the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. They don't want to hear or be a part of the power of Jesus Christ. And so... Christ was still building his church back then with that opposition, and he's still building his church today, despite the opposition even in Nassau. And so 5,000 were made glad by the manifest power of Christ being preached, and a bunch of civic leaders were mad because the power, the manifest power of Jesus Christ was preached. Let's go on to verses 6 and 7, please. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, this is a different group, their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the chief priest, and Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together in Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? That is, healed the lame man in chapter 3, and preached two sermons on the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. By what 
authority do you do that? And in whose name do you do that? They were into authority because that's what they each were all about, whether they were priests, whether they were the chief of police at the temple, or whether they were the Sadducees, they were into power. So they say, what power caused you to heal? What power caused you to preach? Another way of saying that was, in whose name did you heal the layman, and in whose name did you preach? Because in Scripture, in Jewish thought, name stands for character of the name, the works of the name So when you say the name of Christ, it stands for who he is, what he did, and what he's doing. They want to know, in whose name do you preach? In whose name do you heal? By what authority do you do these things? By what authority do you say these things? Oh, yes, they were into authority, and they were into their own power and significance. But it was clear from chapter 3 Verse 6, that they didn't, the apostles didn't attribute power to themselves whatsoever. Verse 6 of chapter 3, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's what Peter said to the layman, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then in verse 12 of chapter 3, God gets the credit again. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. Again, a denial that it was the apostle's name or the apostle's authority or the apostle's power that had healed the man. And then verse 16, still in chapter 3, Peter is speaking and correcting the crowd, and he said, and in his name, that is Jesus Christ's name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. (laughs) They were not unclear. They were not uh, vague. They made it very clear that the healing of this man that never could walk, never could stand from birth, was because of the authority of Jesus Christ, the manifest power of Jesus Christ the authority of Jesus Christ. They made it very clear. It wasn't them. And so these heavyweights, these priests and these uh, Sadducees and this captain of the temple guard, I'm going to call them the heavyweights, (laughs) the rulers and the elders and the scribes are grouped together in the text because they were the Sanhedrin, the ruling body over the Jews, like the Supreme Court in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. It was like the Supreme Court showed up to oppose what the apostles did by way of miracle and what Peter preached by way of sermon. The heavyweights were there, the Sanhedrin. But Annas, the former high priest, he was there. And Caiaphas, his successor, the current high priest, he was there. Church, have you ever noticed that those who hate Jesus Christ and his manifest power being manifest, try to bring out the heavyweights to stop the understanding and the sight of Christ's manifest power. I think about the Christian bakers, the bakery in the United States that refused to bake a wedding cake for a same-sex marriage. And the Civil Liberties Union, highest power lawyers of that body, the couple sued the bakery and the heavyweights came out. 
Or I think about the communist government in China who's driving our brothers and sisters in Christ underground for worship and Bible instruction. And yet Christ is building his church in China in a dramatic way, numerically and qualitatively. China has brought out the heavyweights to try to stop Jesus Christ's manifest power from being seen. They've made their own corrupt Chinese government church that's the only legal church in China. And the preachers of those churches have a whole list of things they're not allowed to preach, including creation, crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, a long list of what these puppets of the communist government in China cannot preach. The heavyweights. Or the executioner who kills the Christian who sides with Christ under the now Taliban-ruled Afghanistan. The heavyweights. But the manifest power of Jesus Christ is unthwarted, unstopped, unblocked, unchained to be seen in so many ways. Because the manifest power of Jesus Christ either makes you mad or it makes you glad. Verse 7 again, please. And when he had set them in the midst, that is Peter and John, for their trial the next morning. And when he had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? That's what they were interested in. They were greatly disturbed and bothered at the manifest power of Jesus Christ, but was evident in Christ's servants, those apostles. And do you know, anyone who gets bothered by Jesus Christ's manifest power, chances are it's because they think that it threatens their own power. And we know that happens often in the unbelieving world, but I'm here to tell you sometimes it happens in the church. Born-again believers who aren't very happy, if the truth be told, about the manifest power of Jesus Christ being manifest. They may be quiet about it, but underneath they're chafing at that. Why would that be? Because they're living in a self-life as a Christian. They're living in their flesh as a Christian. I heard a preacher yesterday, Joe Stoll, one of my favorites, Say, you know, you hear the saying now, I got to be me. Stoll said, that's my worst nightmare to be me. Because I'm my biggest problem in my Christian life. And my sins are all an inside job. Oh, I may be Satan tempted, but whether I give in to the temptation, it's an inside job. And every sin of yours is also an inside job. Also, My flesh and yours is the monkey wrench in the engine of our sanctification to be made to be more like Jesus. Our flesh, our self-life is the monkey wrench in that whole procedure. And so I'm here to tell you that (laughs) I'm a lousy Lord of my own life. I tried that for over 20 years when I was a young man. And I was a lousy Lord of my own life. So what we're saying is that you can be bothered about Jesus Christ's manifest power whether you are unsaved 
or even if you are saved. And so what is the solution to me being my biggest problem in my spiritual life? to sins being an inside job every time I commit them, to the monkey wrench in my sanctification being my self-life, my flesh. What's the solution? Romans 12, 1. Listen, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. God expects that of every blood-bought child of his. It's reasonable to God, and it should be reasonable to us. So I don't, it's not that I got to be me. I got to be a living sacrifice who's presented my body to Christ for him to use it as he wishes. So the manifest power of Jesus Christ bothers some people. Some are non-Christians bothered, and some are Christians silently bothered. But let's go on to our second of two points today. The manifest power of Jesus Christ is something opposite to being mad. The manifest power of Jesus Christ makes some persons bold. Verses 8 to 14. Look at the boldness here. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to help, to help a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, there it is, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, that is Christ, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized, watch this, that they had been with Jesus. Their boldness was so inexplicable, the only way they could explain it was they saw these uneducated and untrained two men as having hung around with Jesus and had become like him and had become his ambassadors and spokesmen. I love that to be said about me. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could not say anything against it. Their mouths were shut. There was no verbal objection that they could give. The man was healed. They knew that he was lame. The sermon pierced hearts. 5,000 men plus women and children were saved. They could not speak anymore against the manifest power of Jesus Christ. They shut up. But we're going to see Next week, they expect the apostles to shut up. And we'll see what happened with that next week. And so let's see the boldness in conclusion. Let's see the boldness in these two apostles because they had been with Jesus. And so the objectors, the Sanhedrin, the ruling supreme court of the Jewish nation and all these hangers-on like the current high priest and the former high priest and others... When they ask the who or what's your power source question, Peter showed boldness. Boldness. He wasn't timid. He wasn't lost for words. He wasn't scared. He wasn't intimidated. He had boldness. 
Boldness at three levels. See it with me. First, boldness to witness to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what he did in verse 10. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man, he stands here before you whole. He was bold in witnessing to the authority of Christ. Second, They were bold in an invitation to salvation found only in Jesus Christ. All these religious uppity-ups, all these people that the nation revered and respected and thought they could do no wrong, he called them to salvation faith in Christ. Bold. Verses 11 and 12 again. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He was saying, be saved. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, whose manifest power is being exhibited through healing and through preaching. Maybe there's someone in the sound of my voice that needs to be saved. Well, you have church. But do you have the Savior? Have you ever trusted him? Have you ever turned from your sins and yourself to the Savior in faith? Be the faith like a little child's faith and say, I put all my trust onto Jesus Christ, who he is, the Son of God, and what he has done. He's died on the cross to pay for my sins, and God the Father raised him to life after death. Have you put your faith in such a Savior? I urge you to do that. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have this afternoon. And so they were bold because they'd been with Jesus, bold in their pointing to the authority of Jesus Christ, bold in inviting salvation to the uppity ups in the country, and third, they were bold in their proof that the apostles were legitimate servants of Jesus Christ, verses 13 and 14. Now when they, that is the opponents, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, remember he couldn't stand from his birth, they could say nothing uh, against it. (laughs) Do you feel a need, Christian, for greater boldness? I do. Maybe you do too. If we feel a greater need for boldness, Look closely at verse 8. What made Peter and John bold is the very same thing that will make you bold and me bold. Verse 8. First part. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be bold, and neither am I, until we're filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? In Ephesians 5, verse 18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit like I've just filled this glove. This glove, without being filled by my hand, can do nothing. Can't garden. It can't take a pot off the stove. It does nothing. But when I put my hand and I fill the glove and I control the little finger, ring finger, middle finger, index finger, and thumb, then I can do almost anything you can do with a human hand 
And so the question becomes, what are you filled with? It says, don't be filled with alcohol. By the way, that's what makes a person drunk, is being filled by alcohol, being controlled by alcohol, right? And by the way, if a drunk looks silly to a sober person, then a spirit-filled Christian will look silly to a person who isn't filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that includes Christians who aren't filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, who see other Christians who are. And so the parallel in Ephesians 5.18 is don't be drunk with wine, don't be controlled by alcohol, in which is dissipation. That word is one we don't usually use. It means overindulgence. It means squandering what you have. It means being found in waste. And by the way, if we don't live under the lordship of Christ and we're the lord of our own lives, then we're not filled by the Holy Spirit and we're involved in overindulgence of our flesh and ourself. We're wasting our spiritual gifts. We're wasting our opportunities to share our faith. It's dissipation. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled has to do with control. Just like a drunk is filled with alcohol and the alcohol controls the drunk, the Christian must be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. He's already in your life but you must make sure he's in control of your words, in control of your thoughts, in control of your actions, your habits, your motivations, your motives, in charge of your money, in charge of your time, in charge of your parenting, in charge of your marriage, in charge of your education. He deserves to have a filled place in your life as a Christian to control you, to produce the fruit of the Spirit as found in Galatians 5. And so, in closing, how do you feel about the manifest power of Jesus Christ? I heard great over here. That's wonderful. There may be some believers here today that don't honestly say great because they're not full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of themselves. Repent. Be happy about the manifest power of Jesus Christ, genuinely. And how do you feel about being glad enough to point everyone to your Savior like Peter and John did? He didn't, Peter didn't bat an eye. Three times at least, he gave the authority to Christ, he gave the power to Christ, he gave the credit to Christ. And when I am not filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit because I'm running my own life, I am not inclined to give the authority or the credit or the spotlight to Jesus Christ, I kind of secretly want it for myself. That's a bad place to be as a believer. And so we've seen the manifest power of Jesus Christ. And maybe you could do something before you leave the campus. We're not to congregate for a long time, but maybe six feet apart from people in the parking lot. You could say, you know, when Pastor was preaching about the manifest power of Jesus Christ, I thought about this example in my life and quickly say it. Get in your car and go. Or pick up the phone this afternoon and phone someone in this assembly and say, the pastor spoke about the manifest power of Jesus Christ. This is where once it showed up in my life. Tell them and then say to the person you phone, what about you? When have you seen the manifest power of Jesus Christ show up in your life? That's Christian fellowship. That's loving one another. And if 
As I'm talking about being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, because remember, that's why Peter was bold. And then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, and then it goes on to say what he said. If you have been living your Christian life in your own resources, in your self-life, and you know you're the biggest problem to becoming more like Jesus, nobody else that you know is a bigger problem than you yourself. Just invite the Holy Spirit to control you. And he will. And when you slip under the wheel of your own car and take control of your life again, just repent and say, Lord, I grabbed the steering wheel. I want to get in the passenger seat. Holy Spirit, drive my car. Drive my life. I'm a lousy Lord of my own life. I want Christ to be Lord of my life because my life is Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this Example from your apostles that they were filled by your Holy Spirit and therefore bold and therefore they were happy about the manifest power of Jesus Christ showing up and giving you the credit for it. We pray that we would follow in their good example and not be like the Sanhedrin and the high priests and the others who came to try to shut down the manifest power of Christ. We pray these things for Christ's glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.